Hello, and welcome to Bedlam Social Hour, a D&D conversation. Here we intend to discuss various topics relating to D&D in general, with the occasional specifics that pertain to our group and the story we're telling in our podcast proper. In this episode, we answer a question posed by Paul M. regarding class and its role within tabletop role-playing games. We'll then follow this up by discussing how player knowledge of the success or failure of skill checks affects how they role-play. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Alright, well, uh, we'll jump into a little conversation first, just to get that knocked out. So our first question tonight comes from Paul. Hi, Paul. Hey, Paul. A.K.A. Kebler. Kebler. Miss you. He posed the question, if you could, currently as you are, change your class within the game, what would you change it to, and why? I mean, obviously, we're all level one humans with no class. I don't know. I'm level 44. I thought so there'd be more, like, leveling up aspects of getting to this point, but... Yeah, yeah. every year you gotta choose what you're putting your points at. No, after a certain uh, number of years, you start getting the penalties for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I keep putting my points in luck. I don't know if it's working out. Are you saying we're getting a chance to change classes? Depends on how good your answers to this question are. Are we going to find Withers somewhere out here? Find Withers? It's a Baldur's Gate joke. I'm out of the loop. I didn't know that one either, so I just smiled. All right. Eeny, meeny, miny, Peyton. Oh. So if I could change my class, what would I change it to? Yes. That's the question on the table. I think Paladin. Paladin would fit Mirmelnir very well because, you know, he, obviously by now I'd be like an Oathbreaker Paladin, but, you know, he came out with this strict kind of set of guidelines to follow with uh, some favor from his god, and he is strayed from that and lost it, and so... I think you're on the right track, and my perception, you're not Oathbreaker Paladin right now. You're just a monk that got dealt this hand and honestly to step into a paladin the next time we level up i half anticipate you taking a a class in paladin because all of a sudden you find a god that you think potentially that you think is wait no this is this is the god that i want to follow because this is what i'm about and that's what he's about let's get on the same page there so i could totally see him becoming a paladin for abrahim yeah both a family. But Paladin always just seems like such a... I've never been brave enough to play Paladin. They're so staunch so much in pressure. there. I don't know if they necessarily have to be that staunch, but I've just seen them played a lot like that, so... It seems heavy. I don't pay enough attention for that. Following a code's not hard if that's actually what you're about. Yeah, I think it's just the strong moral focus of that character. Well, and then not even that, you know, whatever that player defines that morality to be. Right. Yeah, I suppose it doesn't necessarily have to be even fitting with whatever society you're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I never really thought about it like that. <laughs> Cave justice. <laughs> Somebody else want to take the next one, or shall I roll the die? Well, I think I'd go sorcerer. Okay. As Grom? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be sorcerer. I know, I like the idea of this tribe's people gaining all their power through cracking the bones of beasts and re-releasing that magic into the world so they can find it and fight it again. Because everything they fight makes them stronger, so they want all of that out in the world. Otherwise, they won't have any things to fight. And their people will grow weak. Or their person, I guess. Sad. Uh, yeah, I think uh, seeing that evolve into like 
sorceress powers from that. Like once he's defeated enough, things would be kind of fun. Or I could see him easily going that direction and probably just being terrible at it. I've never played anything like that. That'd be pretty interesting. I think it'd be exciting. Yeah. The limited experience I've had in the systems is why would you multi-class? You're you're taking a hit. You know you're not getting them. You're not maxing. I guess that's the min-maxer in me or whatever. But you're not maximizing the potential that you can get from taking another level in whatever it is. But no, just the more the more stories we tell, it's like yeah, you're one there. Of course, you're a paladin. Yeah, I would say I've also never considered changing classes just because of the. I don't know. I was definitely always a min-maxer before joining this particular campaign, but this is just so narrative that I really don't care if he sucks. It'll <laughs> 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 like, eh, be fine. I mean, the dude tries to bite people. He can only go up from where he's at. <laughs> I don't know. I like the idea of all the different avenues that, that adds uh, story-wise. Yeah. Me too. Uh, for me, I guess changing class is very hard not to do change class and change the character it's it's so it's but looking at brax um and all the characters i want to play uh i think a like a swashbuckler would be a super quick easy switch for brax i could still play him pretty much the same and i feel like he already is <laughs> yeah but he doesn't have a sword right yeah just he needs a sword <laughs> just the the conversations we had where i'm just like ranger right right range yeah. Yeah. what are you doing I'm like well this and yeah. like, but you get these bonuses and you're like what yeah but i mean it's like it's gonna go through them so and and that's the thing too is is even playing the class that like so obviously brax is a ranger cleric so it's, it's the, mm-hmm. the switching of, so i'm not as strong as everybody else is going to be just off the bat according to the commons uh, no, just felt like we said yeah know, what everyone says there carrie do you have any insight um yeah, I guess I don't know that I would necessarily change my class, to be honest. I feel like with who Tyler Lore is, fighter is just kind of what makes sense. If I had to choose, I suppose I might consider Barbarian purely just on the aspect of, like, the more strength to protect her party. Um, so that'd be a strength grab rather than a personality shift. Right, exactly, yeah. Because right now, like, I feel like Tyler Lore's whole focus is just, like, I mean, obviously take down Medlack because he's creating a lot of chaos and hardship for a lot of people. But just protecting the people, like her party, the bond, like she's created such a relationship with the party that she wants to be able to protect them. And she Mm. feels like if she can be strong enough to protect them, that's going to be the goal. So she takes two levels in Mother Hen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everybody under my wings now. (laughs) What skills does that come with? Oh, uh, Mother's Glare. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> take 2D10 yeah, of psychic glare. damage. Yes. You get to do that whistle that's heard from five miles away. Yeah. Right. Oh, my dad had that. Yeah. My mom did, <laughs> like, too. Oh, my gosh. I gotta go home. It's We're 10 miles away. <laughs> I don't care. I gotta go. For the the streetlights are on, and you're not home, and you hear mom whistle. You better go running. <laughs> Well, good thing you'd be getting stronger. It sounds like I'd be getting weaker. Well, that said, um, so with those thoughts of shifting and whatever, I guess what are your guys' thoughts on you know how important is class to the game that we're playing? I mean, obviously it's a huge thing to Dungeons & Dragons. That's what they've been based on since the inception because you're defining your your category of fighter, rogue caster, or whatever, you know, the archetypes. I think that's actually what I was going to talk about is how class doesn't really have to drive your character 
because Brax has two different classes, but he is still the same character, whether he be the cleric or the ranger. He, I would play him the same way. Uh, so it's like, all that really does is give you the, your fancy, fun things to play around with, right? Um, the character itself can be anything. Uh, it's just whether or not I'm stabbing with you with a sword or what I should be doing, shooting you with a bow. But I can shoot you with with this magic fire, so that's what he's gonna do in a certain, you know, in a lot of circumstances where maybe he shouldn't, you know. So it's I don't know how much class is. I don't know. I feel like class can play play a part in personality and character ambition, per se. Just like like I said with Tyler Lore being the fighter or being the barbarian, like her motives are to protect her people, and in the sense of like strength is how she's gonna accomplish that. That's her personality. So I think it does have a little bit of a link there. Yeah, yeah. I think the more narrative campaign you're in, I think the less the less effect it has. I feel like in a crunchier campaign, it definitely holds way bigger sway where everything is more focused on tactics. Because essentially you have your character and, and there's going to be whatever problems are going to be around you. And so your class is just however you're choosing to solve those problems. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I think 5e lends itself to to kind of evening it out a little bit because, you know, we're talking about your one shot with 3.5 and, like, no, this is what I'm focused on and this has dumped all my skill points to that. So I have a plus 14 in this, but a plus 2 in all this other stuff, you know. So I think that can be uh, definitely a... This system is more focused on your class is important in what you do and how you behave. Whereas, well, like what we're doing now, it's just kind of a story and this is how you're going to behave. And now I happen to be a ranger or I happen to be a monk or I happen to be a fighter or whatever. <laughs> well, I do like the idea of a super cowardly fighter. <laughs> it's the only fight, but don't make me do it. They're coming after me. <laughs> it's the only thing he knows, right? It's like, I have a sword. I don't know. Like, I don't have any other skills. I will run away first. No, I don't think I've played around with many of the classes, honestly. I've always just played rogues. But this barbarian has been a pretty fun Well, even then, because didn't you start Grom as a rogue? Yes. And then I was like, you should be a barbarian. It's been pretty fun. And then you started, like, getting bonker dice rolls and everything like that. Just like, hmm. Hmm. I guess that does mean it changes more, like, on accident even. Mm -hmm. I would say the fact that Grom was a barbarian changed how he interacted for sure okay because you don't really have any choice but to you got to use your stuff well and that's um, i think back to whatever episode it was it might have been the barbarian's errand or whatever i just i still hear in my head you did this <laughs> <laughs> not 20 <laughs> you did this you said crown should be a barbarian yeah that was much different yeah i guess it does play way more of a way more of a role in in the personality of the character than i guess had originally anticipated well, I could see definitely for plot points, um, we don't have any warlocks at the table, but you know, if you introduce a character that has, I derive all my power from my, this patron, and I'm going to go ahead and give deference to this patron, then obviously that's going to be a plot point that affects things. Yeah, that would be a pretty direct conduit to activity change. <laughs> I feel like Cleric is pretty similar. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's you get all your power from. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I'd say a fair amount of your character... Mark comes from, or it feels like it comes from the fact that you worship the god that you do. Yeah. Seems to be heavy, heavy influence. I would say that... super fun. Yeah, he's very much, I mean, uh, that's who he wants to be. He wants to be uh, Nair Skyak. I mean, he's he's the coolest dude. I think he met him super young, and it's like, he's like, yes, I want to be super cool. But he is a ranger because he had to have a skill. So it's like, that's where it's hmm. this very much. He has all these skills that he just knows 
because that's what he was doing in the army. And it's like, I like it for it. And we need a healer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's the meta. Yeah, a little bit. Just, you know, a little. I do get a bonus level pretty soon, right? <laughs> that's why I want those cards. No. All right. On that note, the last thing I guess we can address on the topic of conversation and game theory is as you guys were leaving the blood room, I forget if it was Brax or I think it was Valrel because Rogue like going to check for secret doors. It made Brax. Me, yeah. was I, was, I was playing around when I said that. Yeah. At the table when it was in the podcast, I was like, that's not what Brax really would have done. But. <laughs> If you would, if we would found something, I would have been like, no, no, no. But uh, it does bring up the follow-up comment made by Percy. It's like, oh, we should, we should revisit that in terms of I'm going to search for secret doors. As players, would you like to roll that d20 and see that two come up, and then have the DM say, no, you don't find anything? Or as players, would you rather say, I search for secret doors or traps or things along those lines, and the DM rolls the die? and says, what's your bonus? And you say, plus five, whatever. And I look down and I say, well, as far as you can tell, there's nothing here. Yeah, I like that way better. Me too, yeah, I kind of like that, like, roll perception. And then they're like, why? And you're like, just, and then it's like, you found a secret door, like, what? <laughs> I think that's a lot funner, because I would never go searching around for a secret door. And if I do, because I expect there to be a secret door there. Mm -hmm. And if I don't find one in that circumstance, because of a two, it's like, Somebody else. Somebody else. I mean, clearly I'm just not looking behind the curtain, right? And I was chatting with Paul, of all people, uh, about this because we were talking about questions and whatnot. And he brought up, well, Baldur's Gate. And again, you guys are a little bit out of the loop. So the way Baldur's Gate runs is you have your party of four people and you're walking through and all of a sudden it'll say, perception check failed. Survival check failed. <laughs> I'm like, what did I miss? And so I'm just like, wait, 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 no, Shadowheart, come over here. And so I bring another person in the party over. Perception failed. I'm like, okay, uh, Lazelle, come over here. <laughs> oh, perception succeeded. Oh, there's a trap there, or there's a chest there, or there's a secret door there. So there is an element of, I know I screwed up. I rolled the perception check, I rolled a two. Oh, you don't see anything. There was something to see, and I didn't see it because of my dice roll. So there's two schools of thought. Like, do I want to be in the school where, oh man, I knew I missed something? Or do I want to be like, all right, I continue on. I can see that go either way. Mm -hmm. I'd say if you want to have more of the mystery of just traveling through the world, then there should just be random dice rolls from the DM often, all the time. Like, you don't have any idea what's going on. I think the passive insight and the passive perception come into play. I do like that as a, a little feature. Bit. That is pretty sweet. I think it gets trickier with puzzles and such. Mm -hmm. I was reading uh, something that was just advice to DMs. It was never solve your own puzzles. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Or not necessarily never solve your own puzzles, but have the answer. But be prepared for when your players come up with something that's really good to be like, yep, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. Because a lot of times it's way more creative than anything I could come up with. I love listening to you guys speculate about what could be going on. <laughs> but just in terms of actual gameplay and, you know, in the moment, dungeon crawling, is there any traps? Do you want to roll? Or do you just want me to tell you whether or not there are any traps? And there's one more little twist I can put on it in that anytime that you roll for something like that, I can roll a die back here to determine whether 20 is a success or 1 is a success. Oh, interesting. 
So you roll a 10, you're like, hmm, meh. Or you roll a 20 or a 19, you're like, oh, that's either really good or really bad. I think I just like this. I would just like it rolled behind the screen. I don't know that I need the additional game of whether or not it's high or low. Because <laughs> that equals out being the same thing, but also just slowing down the play. Mm-hmm. Like another another thing keeping from the story kind of deal. So I could see that go either way. Yeah, I kind of agree. It all boils down to on whether or not you guys want to see the number on those rolls. I like seeing a 20 is always like you don't want to fail on a 20. Like that would be the saddest thing ever. So <laughs> this room is yeah, clean. It's true. <laughs> Unless, of course, we're in some kind of like hellish dungeon that's ruled by like clowns or something. And I could see that happening. But yeah, I like 20s. <laughs> I could certainly see it or I certainly have seen it to where you make a check and you roll super low and then the party's going to spend the next however long in that room mm-hmm. just waiting to roll more, waiting to roll differently. But, so it doesn't necessarily have the same feel because you're not supposed to know if your check was bad. So I feel like it takes that away. As a DM, that's where I land. But I also know that rolling dice is fun as a player. Yeah. I feel there's there's lots of opportunities to do so. The last thing I want is to take something from you guys and be like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and roll this for you. Yeah, I don't know. I think in that instance, I don't think it would necessarily be a bad thing either. It all depends on uh, player makeup. It, it really just boils down to all of our perception and desires on how we want this game to work. kind of goes how do you play it. So like check for traps, for example. So do I want to say I check for traps every time? I mean, as, not a, as a rogue... Even if, if I was a rogue, no, it's so like, I'm going to go unlock this door. Let me check for traps. If I'm at the door and I'm picking the lock, I'm checking, like, mm-hmm. you'd see that's like, come on, it's almost basic, handy, like, yeah, there's traps. I mean, there's only so many traps that can happen. And that's why I kind of like the notion of the passive perception. Let's say your passive perception is uh, 14 or whatever. So you step up to a door, just kind of mundane, whatever. Yeah, and your passive perception, you're just like, oh, here's the door, here's the lock or whatever. But you come up to a door and there's writing all over it. And this is obviously very important. You know, there are going to be times where you step up to it and you're just like, I'm going to take a closer look at this. I do like that a lot. I think it's, it's, always, it's important to remember, too, that like, we are at all at this table we all have a 10 passive perception that is what 10 is in this game is all of us normal human beings so anytime we have anything above a 10 we get into like superhuman level stuff whereas like a 20 is like you know the, the best it's like so a 14 having a 14 I don't know, passive isn't it based off your wisdom bonus I know some people that have a negative wisdom modifier. Oh, right. <laughs> but it's only negative one, right? So you're, you're at an eight, I guess. So it's like when we have these 14 passive perceptions, this is a dude that is like super aware. Yeah. I mean, he cannot be surprised. <laughs> he is so in tune. <laughs> I mean, that, that it's not like I'm walking into a room and seeing, if I see some carving on a wall, be like, oh, that's like, someone decorated a door. Right. Somebody else comes in and is like, oh, it's decorated with, is that Elvish? Oh, no, that's, that's not Elvish. That's, oh, that's what it says. Oh, let's look in this corner, guys. I would say a lot of it probably depends as far as whether that's behind the screen or in front of the screen how much meta you want in your game Mm -hmm. so i think it's how much meta you guys want in the game right sometimes if a nat one comes out i want to be like oh man you are convinced there's a door here there's a door here yeah and if you see that one on the die you can meta there's not a door here well so i actually disagree because it's i I roll the dice and then you tell me what 
the dice means. So if so, check for traps is a perfect example. I roll a, a 15. Well, tra- you don't see a trap there. It's trapped. I'm going to blow up. Yeah, it's a 17 DC. Right. So, but you tell me what I believe. So, I mean, you can make it, even if a door's there, but I, it's like, there is a door there, but you can't, you don't know how to open it, right? So it's like, you're convinced there is a door, but nobody else believes you just because the way you're, you, you play it off almost. Let's turn this into a continuation because let's, this is, this is another conversation. And I think this would be good for, you know, the next episode of conversation but hold that thought i want to hear it but my thought is that is player theory not not game theory that's a player theory Hmm. i am blessed to be able to trust every every one of you that if you roll a nat one and i tell you what you believe you are going to role play that belief that said i'm wondering what removing looking at that nat one does because i will tell you what you believe and it's whether you see that nat one or whether we both see that nat one or whether just i see that nat one yeah because the player becomes the believer <laughs> it's like there's a door there you can't quite figure it out like, you don't know that was a one yeah well, you're spending yeah. some time <laughs> you guys getting out some it kind of introduces a level of like player trusting the dm too like honestly if dan rolls for us and he says you that's a not one a natural fail like i have played with him so long that i'm gonna take him at his word i have no doubt he's not gonna botch the dice for us he's not gonna intentionally screw us up and so i'm just gonna roll with it i'm gonna play it as if i had rolled it myself that's true too if you if you have a dm that's gonna fudge dice rolls then as a player, I'd be like, no, I'll roll my own dice. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Right. Like, I have total faith in you as RDM that you're going to play it straight. Yeah, definitely play the dice. I think you roll the dice when you need to roll the dice, and then you always have the white dice when you need it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but that's that's the job of the DM is to know how to have a good story. I mean. Yeah, as I said, I'd take the other end on that. I would take the complete opposite view really? on that. I don't care what the dice say. I, I trust him to make the world. Uh, and so I just don't want to know what it is, you know? And that's what brings up removing that. Was it a 20 or was it a one? Tell me what I believe. And then, yeah, if you're not looking at that number, you're not second guessing what you believe. Yeah. I don't have to fake it. I actually do think that's because that's what you told me. Yeah. And yeah, you all are very aware that I let the dice steer the story. So even when I wish it would have gone differently. <laughs> <laughs> even when we all wish it would go differently. Well, I'm down for you to try it out for sure yeah. all right we'll leave it at that um i'll go ahead and set that uh little episode up to maybe do a to dovetail into a, a part two for next time but uh yeah good convo otherwise mm-hmm. yeah thanks again paul for the question that was awesome paul right yeah kevler you never knew kevler no no miss you kevler this has been bedlam social hour a D conversation Join us on the first of each month as we continue to create the fantastic adventure we've come to love so much known as Bedlam Social Hour, a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Also on the 15th of each month for more of these type of conversations. Please check out our link tree in the show notes for our social media connections, and please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for joining us for our little chat, and remember, as always, work hard and be kind.